0: We've been looking at the most important choices we can make to become more like Jesus for the last number of weeks, starting in the new year. Nine Choices to a Changed Life addresses the nine characteristics that are listed about the Holy Spirit's character in Galatians chapter 5. We've been looking at the nine traits of Christ that are part of our new spiritual DNA, so to speak, because we're his kids and they give us the ability to make these world-changing, life-altering choices. To say these are a priority for us in Christ are an understatement. We don't have to live powerless lives. We don't have to live discouraged and addicted and distracted. These are our gifts, our new DNA in Christ Jesus. It says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Bible, or rather, faithfulness is the word the Bible uses for integrity. It's synonymous with steadfastness and fidelity. Of course, we know that really only God is faithful. In Exodus 3, verse 14, God tells Moses, I am who I am. And that statement might seem a little cryptic and confusing to us, but God is saying, I am the one with really no past and future. I live in the eternal present. I am the fullness that fills everything in every way. And what I say is true. The faithfulness we see in God that's made available to us through the Holy Spirit is marked by a determination to stand by our commitments, to do what we say we're going to do. The word faithfulness appears 21 times in the Bible, most often in Proverbs. But we also see it in Job, don't we? Where he went through every stripe and type of suffering but remained faithful. We see it in Joseph and Daniel and others who faced persecution from the government and family and chose faithfulness to God over saving their own skin. This trait of Christ, this characteristic of the Holy Spirit that's given to us is rare today, isn't it? really is. Relationships come and go, and half of our married couples in this country will keep their dog way longer than they'll keep their spouse. This trait has always been rare, not just now, but since the dawn of man. That's why God says in Proverbs 20, verse 6, a faithful man who can find. We only see that word used to describe a person in Scripture on a handful of occasions. Only five people in the Old Testament were called faithful: Daniel, Hananiah, Moses, Samuel, and Abraham. And in the New Testament, just eight: Lydia, Timothy, Paul, Tychicus, Epaphras, Onesimus, Sylvanus, and Antipas. Let me ask you: How many of these names do you recognize? Not not all that much, right? Probably just a couple. Uh, Whether less known like Hananiah or Epaphras or familiar like Abraham and Paul, they are honored today, thousands of years later, because of their faithfulness. doesn't matter how well-known we are or even how talented we are in the ministry we're called to. What matters is faithfulness. That's what matters, faithfulness. The faithful person doesn't cheat or cut corners in business and in school and in their relationships. She avoids gossip and slander, keeps a confidence, shows up when she says she will, and does what she says she's going to do. She's able to say, I was wrong, and take responsibility, and more importantly, she gives herself to that which ultimately matters, the kingdom of God and his glory. So now that we have a good idea of what faithfulness is, a basic understanding, let's look at how faithfulness is built. When we look at the Apostle Paul, who was beaten with it within an inch of his life, on countless occasions, and who wrote much of the New Testament and loved God with all of his heart. What was in him that allowed him to endure with such faithfulness? What enabled him to be so faithful? Let's take a look at a letter he wrote to his young protege named Timothy, and we'll see what he thinks of himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul, who who God used to spread the gospel far and wide, who uh, many of his letters were canonized in the New Testament, he understood the profound gift of salvation, and he was humbled by it. He was humbled by the cross. Humility is what develops faithfulness, and Paul, in one word, was humble. We see that in the verse we just read. Humility over our inability to please God on our own, and humility set to the backdrop of the shed blood of the cross for us. Humility is the engine for faithfulness. And the word used in the NIV, as we just read in Galatians 5, is gentleness. So gentleness or humility in our day of selfies every five seconds, posted onto social media, self-promotion, building our persona on social media is rare, isn't it? We prefer pride to humility. I've heard it said that humility, that is gentleness, is power under control, and pride is power out of control. You know, I'm a sports guy, and when I was a kid, believe it or not, uh, I was very into boxing as a young teenager. My friends, we actually, when I came to know Christ, one of our big outreaches was a fight club. Okay, it was a Bible study, and then we would have a boxing match in the basement afterwards. And so I studied up. on It worked, too. A lot of people came. I, I got beat up on quite a few occasions for Jesus. Yeah, I know. That's true. I, I never lost. I was undefeated. Uh, uh, you know, but I, I used to study it. There, there was a magazine that I read that was all about boxing, and I, would, I subscribed to that, and I loved reading that. And I remember reading a story about a man setting his, in 1930, a boxer, It's in Detroit when three young men boarded a bus and this boxer who is African-American goes to the back of the bus. And these men, three white young men, are hurling insults at him time and time again. And he refuses to respond or even look their way. And it comes to his stop and he gets off of his stop and as he's walking out, he takes out a business card that simply says, Joe Lewis, professional boxer, and hands it to one of these men. These men, these three young men, Got an example of power under control, humility. He was the uh, soon-to-be boxing heavyweight champion of the world at that time, and he could have cleaned their clock with half a jab, and yet he stayed under control. But don't get me wrong. True gentleness, the gentleness of the Holy Spirit wants to develop in us confidence, not low self-esteem. We're children of the king. And we're to be confident. It's not enslavement. It's strong in service to others. It's not helpless and hopeless. It's filled with hope and very helpful. It's not powerless. It's empowered and dignified. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but rather thinking of ourselves less. Maybe some of you have heard that before. It's the opposite of insecure. It's confident and it's outward focused. It knows who Jesus is. It knows salvation, and it's humbly powerful. Philippians two verse three says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit; rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others." Humility builds others up, and it truly thinks of others more than it does self. See, we will be obsessed with something as human beings. We're made to be obsessed with something, and we will either be obsessed with our own needs or the needs of others. We're not born with this kind of gentleness, this humility. We must seek it. We have to pursue it as a discipline, as a choice. It says so in James chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. And then again in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. We are to pursue humility with the passion of Christ that resides in us. Pride makes us anxious, and it takes our eyes off of Jesus and others and focuses on self because it always requires more. Pride is insatiable. Pride always requires more position, more power, more praise, more accomplishments. Pride wears a million masks to hide anxiety, and it's exhausting but humility brings life. Our talents, however great or small, are used to serve Jesus, and others meet responsibilities to give ourselves to that which really matters, to that which is really life-giving. A great measure of our humility, a great litmus test is this. Are we more excited about the successes of our brothers and sisters than we are our own successes and accomplishments? Jesus is our model for humility. Isn't he? He's our king. And the first picture we get of his life is being born into a barn of sorts, surrounded by livestock. It's this vivid picture of exposure, of vulnerability and weakness. And it continues all the way to the cross, where he looks at the thief on the cross next to him and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Again, exposed and broken and vulnerable for us. He says to his disciples and he says to us, he said, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. John 13, verse 12. You know what that means? We should regularly be doing things daily that we see as beneath us. know that washing feet was about the lowest of uh, actions you could perform, services that you could perform for another. Maybe in your sphere, it's washing the dishes, cleaning a toilet. Given, uh, you know, the friend you have, you know they're sore and tired, giving them a quick back rub. You know, that's in many ways uh, modern foot washing. And even beyond that, it requires us to go to the places that the world is not willing to go, to reach out to the people that the world does not want to touch, and to do it in Jesus' name. The path to faithfulness comes through the choice to be humble like Jesus and to serve, not be served, to lay down our lives for others. So here's how this choice to be humble breaks down. I want to get to some practical steps to obedience. How do we develop humility in our lives? In many ways, it's the easiest of things to develop because the, the advice that I'm about to give here is very, very basic. But man, our flesh hates it and fights it tooth and nail, doesn't it? The first is, be honest with yourself, God, and others. You got to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, what is my current level of faithfulness? Where am I at in my maturity? I'm, hey, I got to warn you, I'm going to share another sports analogy. I can't help it. I'm a sports guy. You, got, you guys are stuck with me, and this time it's a baseball analogy. You can blame my mom. You know, she and my dad put the bat in my hands when I, you know, could barely walk. So it's their fault. Uh. But how many of you have heard of Ted Williams, baseball player? Man, you guys need to be discipled better. (laughs) Kimball, we need to talk. Uh, He was one of the greats. And, you know, we don't see this honest assessment of self in sports much these days, do we? Everybody's yelling and screaming about how great they are and how they deserve more money. Uh, uh, They deserve to be admired more and so on. But he was truly one of the greats. When Ted was 40 years old and closing out his career with the Boston Red Sox, he was suffering with a pinched nerve in his neck, so much so that it was very hard for him to even look at the pitcher. You know, he's here, it's really hard for him to turn his head to the pitcher. And so that year, he says, man, this thing was so bad, he later explained, that I could hardly turn my head and look at the pitcher. For the first time in his career, he batted under 300, hitting just 254 and only 10 home runs, which is still Pretty darn good, I might add. You're going to make millions of dollars if you can do that today. And he was paid the highest salary in professional sports at that time, $125,000 a year. The next year, the Red Sox sent him the same contract. And listen to what he did. This is what he says. When I got it, I sent it back with a note. I told them I wouldn't sign until they gave me the full pay cut allowed. I think it was 25%. My feeling was that I was always treated fairly by the Red Sox when it came to to contracts. I never had any problems with them about money. Now they were offering me a contract I didn't deserve and I only wanted what I deserved. Williams cut his salary by $31,250. You're not gonna hear that these days about anybody in pro sports, are you? No, definitely not. I wish we would just get one piece of good news about elite professional athlete these days. But we do have to be brutally honest with ourselves because the lies we tell to ourselves are very dangerous. It's okay to be honest and say, you know what? I rarely get in the word. My prayer life is in shambles. You know, I, don't, I rarely, if ever, experience the love of Christ. I almost never think about the needs of others. There, there's nothing wrong with that. You know why? When we're honest with God, he points us to the cross and says, I already took care of that. Let's get back to parting together, celebrating my salvation and my provision over your life. And we're going to clean all this up. But you just, you just be with me. That's all you need to do. Just be with me. Romans 12, verse 2, Paul speaking to the Roman church about spiritual gift, gifts challenges them. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, Paul's saying in this section of his letter to the church at Rome, hey, don't brag about your spiritual gifts. Don't put your confidence in your spiritual gifts. Look rather towards the head of the church, Jesus Christ, and put your confidence in him. We have to stop justifying ourselves and making excuses. I like David's prayer along these lines in Psalm 139, verse 1. He says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. And then verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You and I can't grow in faithfulness until we face the truth about ourselves. Are we allowing others to speak into our lives? When was the last time we allowed someone to speak into an area of our life that's broken? That needs the touch of Christ. If we can't remember, it means we're probably not very humble. Our skin's too thin to take the criticism of brothers and sisters who love us and want to help us. Facing the truth about ourselves is called confession. And it's a lifestyle for those of us who know and love Jesus. Confession is simply saying the same thing about our sin that God does. To agree with God that we can't do it on our own. That we need his grace it's not at all self-loathing or poor me thinking. It's glorious. It's glorious when we confess our sins to God and experience his healing. We never graduate from this humbly strong place of confession. It's a lifestyle for the believer. And this kind of humility naturally leads to telling the truth to others. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, it says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. So one benefit of telling the truth is there's less garbage between us and God. You see, lying doesn't work because it starts with lies to ourselves, then it leads to posturing before God and gives birth to lying to others. Lying is pride. It cares more about my appearance than it does the cross. It says, I would rather you think better of me than look towards the cross. My reputation matters more to me than the cross of Christ. Humility says, Jesus knows the truth about me and is crazy about me anyway. When I'm honest with him, he shows me his scars. He points to the cross and said, I already took care of that. Let's get back to it. Life becomes a celebration of grace when we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with God and we're honest with others about our hurts and our hang-ups. Do you know when we're transparent with others, it changes people. The church becomes less boring, less religious, and it becomes real, and, and ones are brought into a closer relationship with Jesus and one another. Transparency matters. Talking about the brokenness of our past and our present, our frustrations and our doubts, it matters. The fact that oftentimes we fail to do that is what makes us unattractive to the world when we try to pretend we've got it all together. Another way we grow in gentleness or humility is to serve others. This is probably the best way to grow because it changes our hearts to think and care about others more than we do ourselves. When we make the decision to serve, we make the decision to love. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, he says in Matthew 20. So it makes sense that Jesus would measure the greatness of those who are his citizens in his kingdom by their service. Again, in Matthew 23, verse 11, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. But we don't measure greatness that way, do we? Even in the church, oftentimes we measure greatness by how gifted that person in ministry might seem to be. We measure greatness by the strength of the church or ministry's budget. We measure greatness by, uh, I heard an old pastor say one time, by nickels and noses. How many noses are in the seat and how many nickels are in the offering basket. And that's not how we're to measure it, are we? We're to measure it by our service. It should be said of us uh, uh, in every sphere of life, whether we're talking about our neighborhoods, work, uh, our, our campuses, hey, I can say a lot of things about what they believe, but I cannot argue with their service. I've never been served as I have by those people who call themselves followers of Christ. So we think about it very simply. What do you possess? It might be a car. It might be a phone. It might be an education. It might be money. It might be a home. How do we use those things to serve others? We have those to serve others. When we try to make our lives about selves, we die, don't we? We become less human. When we try to make our life about others, we grow and we find life. Selfishness is a coffin and service is a party. It really is. So on to another super practical way to we grow in humility, hang out with normal folk. Now I know all of you, especially you millennials, okay? You have been raised on social media. Maybe all the way from grade school, you remember looking on social media to see what your friends were doing without you. Here they are at Starbucks, and they told me that their parents weren't going to let him hang out tonight. You know, or there he is out with her, and he told me that he was taking a break from dating or wherever it might be. We want our posts to look like we're popular hanging out with other popular people. Oftentimes, it can become very toxic, not so for kingdom citizens. It says in Romans 12, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Pride says, you're here to make me look good. You need to be attractive. You need to be funny. You need to be fun to hang around. And if you're not those things, you're not worth my time. Humility says, you matter to God and you matter to me. I'm going to choose to love you and value you just as God does. You know what happens when we choose a prideful response in this area? We become fault-finding. We want the popular people we hang around to be uh, on par with us or better yet, maybe even a little bit lower than us to make us look good. We begin to gossip and complain about all of our relationships. Whereas when we choose humility... The person who seemed undesirable becomes more human as we get to know them. We find ourselves protecting them in conversations with others from gossip because now we've heard their story, and we show grace. We've seen Jesus' love for them, and we enjoy them as Jesus enjoys them. We move from disgust to dignity. We become more like Jesus. We move closer to him, and so do they. The next one I threw in here, but it's really just common sense for humility. Stop taking yourself so seriously again with social media we all think we're the star of the world don't we i mean we've got all these pictures on all these different websites and our phones constantly popping up you were tagged in a photo you're it's like man i am so cool you know we're more than any other generation we are uh, we've got a reminder that we matter and that uh you know there's others who think highly of us every time we turn on our phone you know i love this about kimball Kimball constantly makes fun of himself. He tells embarrassing stories about himself all the time. In fact, you need to ask him to tell you one. It's very entertaining. And I, uh, he helps keep me grounded when I freak out about, uh, you know, maybe stresses of being a father or stresses of being a pastor. He'll tell me a funny story about himself. Or on many occasions when he feels like he's blown it in ministry or when he feels like there's something that's that, uh, in the church or in his family that's not going well, you know who he almost always blames? Even when he's in a conflict where it seems very clear it's the other person's fault, he tries to look at his own life and how God might be growing him. And I've seen this, this uh, help him to grow closer to Christ over the years. I see it in the gentle way he treats his daughters and others. And it's been a choice to grow this way. I don't think this is his natural personality because I've known him for a long time. This means don't take your future career, your weaknesses, your strengths, your successes, your failures, don't take them too seriously. Look instead to Jesus. Instead of preaching your failures and successes to yourselves, preach the gospel. That's what we need to preach to ourselves. Jesus is coming soon, and one day when all else fades into eternity, that will be all that matters. He wins, and so do we, so we can chill. And actually, this mindset of not taking ourselves so seriously, it actually makes us more effective for Christ, because we don't think that everything we do and say is as important as we oftentimes think it is, and we start valuing God and loving others more. Another simple one here, this might be my favorite one because I've always liked kids. I love kids. They're just so funny. I just don't, when people say they don't like children, I just, if you don't like children, man, you're weird. You're just, you're weird, okay? I'm sorry to say it, you're weird. Uh, but I love you anyway. Matthew 9:14. it says, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Little children have nothing but trust in their parents. It's hard to hide from your parents when you're little uh, in terms of your, your behavior and your character because they literally see your poop, right? <laughs> little, I mean, you can't hide from your parents when you're that age. Every part of you is seen by them, your behavior, uh, your stinkiness, everything. Little children are a gift from God to all of us whether we're blessed with children or not because they minister to us in some very significant ways. They are an integral part of the body of Christ. Do you know that they are very, very important to us? First, the relationship with the Lord is unique. I remember when my kids were little, I would pray with them in a way that might seem unique or different to some of you. And I'd learned it from someone else, but it's called safe place prayer. And they'd be lying in their beds at night, and I would ask them to picture a safe place. So it could be an ocean, a mountain, a spot in our home. And then when they would get that image in their head, I would ask them to add detail. Is it warm or cold? Uh, is the water lapping up on the shore? You know, and and that, to firm up that picture in their mind. And they would say things like, I'm uh, on an island in the ocean and I'm in a hammock and there's a warm breeze and the water's lapping up on the shore. And then I would ask them, after they got the image firmly in their mind, invite Jesus into this time and tell me what he's doing or saying to you. And you know, they would say things like, Jesus is telling me right now that I make him happy. Jesus is inviting me to stand up and and to skip stones with him across the water. You know why? Because kids trust that Jesus is for them and that Jesus loves them. They haven't been as scarred, Lord willing, a, a child from a good household hasn't been as scarred with rejection and unfaithfulness. On other occasions, they would raise hard questions or make observations that were innocent, basic, but incredibly profound. I remember one of my kids one time communicating to me in frustration, Dad, why should I pray? I mean, it doesn't seem to help because it seems like I always do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. They didn't know Romans 7, but that's exactly what Paul said in Romans 7. And you're thinking, wow. I mean, they oftentimes share the things that we adults are too embarrassed or ashamed to talk about, like frustrations with prayer. It's very encouraging. Uh, Worship team, you guys can go ahead and make your way up. I'm going to be a few minutes, so you can just take your time. Children, Children also cry a lot, and they expect their parents to care. It says in Romans eight verse fifteen, the spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The picture here is of a little infant crying before their mother, stroking their mother's neck, crying out. It is beyond intimate, and it goes. There's no words to describe it. You see, a good parent, family member, or friend who often hangs out with the child, they know their various cries. Even their cry, they know what the cry means. There's the cry that says, I'm upset and stubbornly responding to the fact that you won't give me what I want. Give me the cookie. There's the cry that says, you hurt my feelings. There's the cry that says, don't worry, I'm going to fall asleep soon. This cry will not last very long. I'll give up. All these cries are concerning, but there's one that raises the alarm bells, and that's the cry that says, I'm afraid or hurt mom, dad, Where are you? Good parents are A students of their child's various cries and fears. I remember my daughter uh, one time, or many times when she was very little, we saw that she would get afraid in certain instances. And this was before she could talk real well, and it went way into, you know, she still has this. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't still have it. But uh, what it was was she was afraid of scary eyes. And scary eyes could be red lights, you know, when you're stopped in traffic. Scary eyes could be, we had this massager that had these two little percussion balls, you know, and, and that, that was scary eyes. And then also her mom, her loving mom would, we had, we went through all her storybooks, And if there was a picture of an alligator or something like that, she would tape over the scary eyes. You know, because we don't want her to be unnecessarily afraid. The Lord knows how we're wired. He cares about us. Maybe most importantly, our kids teach us about the kingdom of joy that Jesus has invited us into. They want us, kids love to have fun, don't they? That's the goal of their existence. They wake up in the morning, kids don't walk. They get out of bed and it's, you know, we get up and it's, you know, a little kid gets up and their, you know, little heads are leaning in the direction they want to go and it's off to watch cartoons. It's, you know, off to go outside and, Uh, You know, they drive their moms nuts. That's why moms have to get memberships to all these indoor places in the winter around here. (laughs) But the Lord wants to speak to us. He cares about us. My my friend Sonny Wicks in our home group was just telling me a couple weeks ago that there was a time where uh, he was really crying out to God. He was going through a really difficult situation, and he's in the car crying out to God, and here's what God did. God responded. A, A car aggressively swerved in front of him, And on the license plate, it said, sing number two, him. Sing to him. I mean, literally, boom, right in front of him, he gets this picture. God wants to speak to us. Kids love to celebrate too, don't they? They love to have fun with you. And when they get a little older, they know when you're faking it. And you're just putting in the time. They know it. When you come home and you're an aunt, uncle, friend of a kid, mom, dad, and you see them often, they light up and run to you because it's party time. We learn about the kingdom of joy through them. The Lord wants us to delight in him, to enjoy him, to like him more than anything else. That's what he wants. And I think children teach us that. They are living, breathing teachers of our posture before God. They really are. Uh, In a few moments, you'll have an opportunity uh, during communion to pray with someone Uh, Kimball will give you guys direction and how we're going to do that, but you'll have an opportunity to pray with someone either up here, uh, we'll put some chairs up here, or you can pray with somebody sitting near you. Uh, At this time, we're going to take our offering, and uh, again, throw your card in there, and we so appreciate your gifts to what God is doing here at Awaken. Let me pray both for our time and for the offering. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We blow it, every single one of us, but Lord, we thank you that because you're faithful, we can respond. Lord, we can become more faithful. We can become more like you because of the spirit that you've given us. Holy Spirit, would you help us to make this choice? You've already given us the power to do so. Help us to make the choice to be faithful through humbly serving you and others, Lord. We cry out for that. Help us to make the decision to serve tomorrow or this evening. Lord, we pray for these gifts that will be given in your name. Help us to give joyfully and generously because of who you are and what you've done in our lives. And Lord, please help us to be good stewards of your resources. In Jesus' name, amen.